Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joe Millions. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health. So, Prost to you. So stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Welcome to The Penis Project. Today we are speaking to Brendan who is three and a half weeks post-op having a robotic surgery and we've never spoken to someone this early before so we just thought it would be really great to get an overview of his story. So, welcome. Welcome. Yes, pleased to see you ladies this morning. Um, I'd, about three years ago I um, began to notice my PSA was, 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 was slowly increasing but I asked my GP about it and um, he said it was still within uh, normal bounds. So at, unfortunately at the, at the time I had a number of other health issues and they were taking precedence. And uh, I think there's a real lesson there because my PSA really became the most important measure of my health at the time. But I was worried about cholesterol uh, for uh, because I had high cholesterol. Um, I had a health issue, mental health issue in my family and uh, that was taking up a lot of time and energy. And... I thought that um, eventually I decided I'd better start looking at my PSA a bit more closely and I began to get symptoms two, two and a half, three years ago of um, having to go a little bit more at night. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. And um, yeah, nothing that really worried me much but um, I tended to uh, uh, just get used to it, I suppose. So over that 18 months or so I got used to it. And then um, COVID last year, you know, I had... A number of things happened. At the start of last year, I had a wedding in Melbourne in March. and then Did you get to it? Uh, we did get to the wedding. Right. We got one, <laughs> one week in, just before COVID really started. Yeah. But we began to see empty shelves in the supermarkets in Melbourne. So and that, that was toilet scary. rolls empty, toilet roll shelves in particular? They were absolutely empty. Yeah. <laughs> completely empty in the CBD in Melbourne. <laughs> so we just got back to Perth and um, my uh, PSA was 3.3 at that time. So it had gone into the threes. And my GP didn't tell me at the time, but uh, if you... Uh, PSA is over three, twice, you probably should get to a urologist and get to an MRI as soon as you can. So, um, any age. So, um, so just to put that in context for a moment, how old are you, Brendan? 67, but unfortunately 68 in a few days. Okay. <laughs> 28th of September. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so at that point I decided that uh, COVID got in the way. I didn't go, couldn't get, had a lot of trouble getting in my medical clinic for months. 
put it away in the, uh, you know, I was aware of it but wasn't too concerned because I felt like it was a very low reading and, mm-hmm. I, and that low reading really is very deceptive because, but it had, be, it had been increasing. And uh, anyway, later on in the year, I went, in August, I went to my um, GP and he suggested that I perhaps should go and get a scan. So I had an ultra scan and it confirmed what I thought and that was I wasn't peeing quite properly. I wasn't getting rid of it. It wasn't emptying out. Probably had about 60 or 70% every when I, would, when I would pee and then I'd be having to ongoing pee to try and empty so my bladder. So we call that uh, residual volume. So you could mm-hmm. empty about 60 to 70% and then they could record from the ultrasound scanner that you had some left in your bladder mm-hmm. and then you needed to kind of push or keep yeah. going to empty, did you? Yeah, I sort of liken it to like having to siphon again, you know, keep, yeah. keep going, keep emptying it out because what I'd find is I'd have a pee and then I'd go to pull my jocks up and next minute I'd have, I'd have you know, a bit of wetness on my jocks because I, there was a bit more all of a sudden ready to come. Dribbling so down leg side is what one of my uh, patients said to me once. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> down, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, had that a bit. And then what I um, – then he, he decided it was probably a good idea to get another PSA and the other PSA was 3.74. So there's a fair increase in between those two, even though mm. they're still below four, which is the pathology – papers and other information will tell you is a safe level but that increase wasn't safe so um then he convinced me to go to a urologist there was something because i had so many things going on otherwise i'd also had a health plan i'd been seeing a psychologist to deal as a as a sort of a carer from one of my kids Mm. who was going through the hardest stuff in her life that took precedence over my prostate but in fact that was never going to be life-threatening for me but the prostate issue uh, could have you know was really so um that's why i delayed but what i found is it seems like we blokes might use all sorts of things all sorts of life matters might get in the way and delay and my lesson and message is so strong i can't tell you enough to uh, not delay so i got to uh, finally i got to a urologist in february so i'd moved in the 2021 and only then did I because I had to wait over Christmas I couldn't get into the uh, urologist and uh, very quickly suggested I get an MRI. Mm. And so what and your MRI what did that show? My MRI showed there was 100% a lesion of unknown nature on my prostate. So then I went back, but at that point it was there was more delay because uh, for some reason I had some difficulty with with that uh, referred specialist office, and I had trouble getting my results. There was some mis mis um, messaging went on, and I was away down south for a few days. So another couple of weeks went by, and every week became really important Mm. according to my specialist because uh, in the end, anyway, I I, um, decided at that time we we found out about uh, another specialist at St John at um, Western Urology who was highly recommended and we decided that uh, we'd just get a second opinion on the uh, on the uh, whether we, whether I have a biopsy or not but uh, there was no question go straight to biopsy so you had the biopsy and then how did you feel when you got the diagnosis like what did that send you reeling uh, yeah the biopsy was big because I remember walking into um, uh, Richard Penman and my urologist uh, surgery or his office and uh, I said is it good or bad news I just it was the obvious question and uh, he straight away you know hesitated and I thought here we go um, but I've been really confident I'm not a negative person I'm a half glass full person and I was sure I was going to be six of the seven guys who aren't diagnosed with prostate cancer but I was the, I was the one of seven who was diagnosed and I was four and three which is a Gleason score which is not great because it's a moderately aggressive uh, so cancer. So Gleason four and three gives a Gleason score of seven mm-hmm. but a Gleason three plus four would have been more more of a um, yeah. lighter or more moderate 
yeah. change yeah. versus the four plus three. Yeah, so yeah. Four, four plus three wasn't great. And, and we talked – what I loved about uh, uh, this urologist was that, you know, he had double screens of my MRI. So he was really thorough. He showed me – he was a younger guy than my, my other guy. And, you know, I'm not ageist, but I just – think felt uh, i know that technology has improved and this 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 man was doing you know robotic surgery and that was what i wanted i knew that was the state of the art so i just wanted the best um i could get to uh i was gonna have to pay anyway so i might as well get the best i can possibly get Mm. so i felt really comfortable with him he's very he was very calm um person probably one of the calmest doctors i've ever spoken to that's that's really helpful in this situation isn't it especially when you're feeling Mm. anxious as you've expressed anxiety level i can't tell you the anxiety Mm. level was just so great i have i run a reasonable level of anxiety already but my anxiety level went through the roof and i didn't know whether i was going to be able to handle it so i actually went to my gp and went on um, lexapro 10 milligram which is a very mild antidepressive um and it took probably three weeks but it, it laid me back it did? Good. You felt it did. like it, it settled it, it you down? It put all my issues and they didn't go away but I had all my issues. It's like I put them on a shelf in front of me and I could look at them um, and I felt more relaxed. I couldn't get relaxed the way I was before. So, um, you know, I've had some, some serious ups and downs in my life and some great, great, you know, positives but the anxiety level went through the roof when I found out about it so I really was struggling with it. And you said this was the first time you'd ever been on medication for anxiety? Yeah, I've never never had an antidepressant, yeah. But mm. I, was, I had been on a healthcare plan, I had some really good counselling and that was working well but I've only ever taken homeopathics for anxiety or, you know, for, for sleeping. I have have pretty serious sleep issue and that goes back to a trauma at work a few years ago so uh, my anxiety level runs fairly high anyway. Yeah. So when you, you also went back to the counsellor as well as starting on the antidepressant? Present? Yeah, went back to I went to um, probably one of the best movers I made is went to um, Cancer Council WA and I just had the best um, help from them. Rang them. I spoke to a lady who not only did she she must have known about lots of cancers, but she seemed to know really well prostate cancer and what I was going through. And this was. You know, I was probably at my most vulnerable because the antidepressant wouldn't have kicked in then and I was still really anxious. And she directed me to um, uh, a lady called Aidy at Midland Cancer Foundation and a cancer council. And uh, I was offered and have taken up um, a number of Reiki sessions. I had choice of Reiki or reflexology uh, and uh, a counsellor, a lady called Jane, who was a counsellor, a specialist cancer counsellor. So she really understood cancer and uh, I've had some counselling but she was one of the best counsellors I've had and I've, I'm still still seeing her. I think um, that's a really good point actually. Often I'll see men who don't know that they can access free counselling through the Cancer Cat Foundation and it's mm. a self-referral so you don't need a referral from your GP or anybody. Yeah. You just ring up and um, the thirteen hundred number, and then a- they. And I've just looked up the thirteen hundred number. Well done, Joe. It's what is thirteen eleven twenty one three one one two zero. And they are brilliant. They're all trained and and they're educated about different types of cancers and outcomes. And that's what you need. You just want someone who really knows what what understands the the disease process you're going to go through. And was that an in-person or over the phone or did, how did it this, all work out? Yeah, this was in p- totally in person and um, what I loved was, um, so the person at Cancer Council Head Office, she was incredibly intuitive and, and, and sympathetic, empathetic, not sympathetic, empathetic. Mm-hmm. 
and 80, who was at uh, the Midland branch, and they've got, I think they've got other branches around Perth. Midland's the closest to me, that's why I went there, it's 20 minutes away. And 80 was incredibly empathetic again. Her dad was a 70, is a 79, 9-year-old working GP in New Zealand, and he's had prostate cancer. And he's had radiation and, you know, she was just, she was just, she was like, she was my mainstay there. And then I'd go to Karen who was, who did the rake and then I'd go to another one of their offices in Midland for the counselling. So all of this was before you actually had the yeah, surgery? I this started, I tried to get into this as soon as possible. This happened uh, uh, a few weeks before. It happened, actually, I started going in uh, probably a month after I was diagnosed, three weeks a month. Mm -hmm. uh, so, um, and then... I think I started to think more clearly once the anxiety came down a bit. I started to think what I needed to get to go forward, and um, and I've still continued since. So, you got diagnosed. Do you remember the date? Uh, it's, it was around the f around the end of May. End of May, because you were. I'm just thinking back in the context of March, your PSA the previous year in 2020. So yeah. this is kind of like another year and two months down the track and then you had your surgery August the 27th. 27th yeah. Yep. Yep. And so how, how did you find that time between May and August? There's about two two months there, yeah, that almost three. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting time because that, that was – I went in, I was in shock. And in fact, the interesting thing was I've um, been married for 25 years to um, Jeannie and um, – Jenny is a nurse and had a lot of experience uh, as a nurse. She started nursing at uh, 17. And I think one of the biggest areas of shock, I, I, I was personally shocked, but she was shocked too. And she, you know, for a nurse who's seen everything and she's seen everything, I've, I've, I've been debriefed, I've listened to her many a time coming back from shifts. She's seen everything you can possibly see medically. And she was in shock. And, that, and it reminded me and... You know, I could get nearly teary about it now because it yeah. just changed our lives totally. It, it's mm. so different when it's in your own home mm. and when it's your heartbeat yeah. next to you at night time, you know, it's the one that's your life partner yeah. and she can have all the experience in the world looking after other people. But yeah. when it's you yeah, and yeah. when you're having to share that with her, it's really different. Yeah. Mm. And yeah. it's so different when it's someone in your family. You can you can kind of separate yourself as a health professional a little bit. You can definitely be empathetic, but you can separate yourself. But when it's going to affect your household and yeah. your life, it's yeah. so different. Yeah. And so how did, did Jeannie respond? Was she... Well, Jeannie's been amazing. But um, what's, what I think was interesting was uh, a, a number of... So some of the, so the first consequence was shock for both of us, and we had trouble making decisions. We had to make a decision about whether I'd have radiation or uh, or uh, have the prostate removed. The surgery, and yeah. you have the surgery, and but that was became really easy for me because I've got actually got CLL, which is chronic lymphocyte leukemia, and I was diagnosed at forty three. So my blood specialist said you don't really you don't want to be doing radiation, but um, that's okay. The CLL. Um, is not uh, life-threatening at the moment in any way, but it's low level. But the interesting thing is that, um, uh, yeah, I think we went into shock and then we had to make decisions. We went away. We had two things Two things we did. We, just, we had a three-week trip up north planned uh, because one of my kids had uh, a new baby. So um, we decided we'd still do that trip. Um, but before we did the trip, I had my first appointment with Joe and – that literally when I got home from that appointment, I realised it was time to get moving and yep. get an appointment date because at that time I didn't have a date. And um, and I felt good once I had a date in mind because three months is not a long time. Mm. To, to That was 
you know, Richard was suggesting that three months was it. I needed to get it yeah. done and history has shown that I, I needed it in that three months. So um, the it was time to – we had our holiday and that was awesome. But I'd already at that point had, had some of my, my Reiki and counselling had kicked in. But I just felt incredibly raw. Raw is the word and mm-hmm. raw and sensitive. Um I found um, it had begun to affect Jeannie and my um, sex life already. In what uh, way? In, well, <laughs> in what way? We both had the same question at the same yeah. time. I know. I didn't know what was affecting it. I couldn't work it except what I began to realise is we did some research on um, – it, it affected me in the sense it was very unusual for me because I suppose – I'd be honest, I'd, we'd probably have – we would have sex twice a week mm-hmm. and I think that's probably, you know, we used to have more. So, but twice a week and Jenny's 10 years younger than me and I think we um, are probably, you know, we, I'd say put ourselves in the reasonably healthy sexually mm. category. You know, I've never had any erectile dysfunction to worry about in my life um, but, and I've been very lucky like that because I know a lot of guys have that issue and I really feel for them. But we, um, I began to, um, I still had, libido but not to the same extent but I couldn't orgasm I, no matter what I could do didn't <laughs> I just could not orgasm and I've never had that I just could now, not did, yeah. and I remember when I saw you for the first time no one had told you that that was one of the potential side effects of the antidepressant that you were no, taking no no and I checked on the antidepressant and about uh, one of the top six or seven anti uh, side effects was loss mm. of libido and possibly or, you know I don't know whether it mentioned orgasm but so um, yeah so I'm actually in the, I'm actually seeing my GP today and I'm going to switch over I'm going to do the correct process to Can switch over. Can we just over. have a quick chat about that? Is that a common side effect of that particular one? Or it's a very common side effect of all of the antidepressants that are in the SSRI family. Um, serotonin can't remember what SSRI stands for, something to do with serotonin. Um, but yeah, it's a common side effect of that family of drugs. But there are other ones, like there's Valdoxin, which is also called aglomegatine. That's a very good antidepressant that doesn't have the anorgasmia side effect. That and also it, helps with sleep. And it helps with sleep. It's brilliant for sleep. So if you take that one hour before bed, your mm-hmm. brain actually produces melatonin and you get better quality sleep, plus you don't have the sexual side effects. So mm-hmm. the reason mm-hmm. GPs go straight for the... Um, SSRI usually is because it's on the PBS, so it's cheap. Whereas right. Valdoxin isn't; it costs about seventy dollars a month, but mm-hmm. it's well worth it mm-hmm. to avoid the side effects. Yeah. And there's also another um, antidepressant called duloxetine, which doesn't have the same as bad side effects sexually, but that is a really common side effect. And I think not often enough are people explained that because they it just sneaks up on them, and then they're like, "Hang on, I can't have an orgasm." Mm-hmm. What's happened, and you don't put two and two together because it's usually a month or so down the track. So it wasn't Absolutely. actually you physically not being able to do it, but that might have added to your distress. I'm yeah, thinking it, it did yeah. because because I I thought you know um, when I wrote about it, I thought I thought that all of a sudden this is what I could be experiencing after for a while, you know, and or the and rest I, of your life yeah, potentially. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, and you know, Jeannie and I talked. One of the things we began talking about quite early was that we're going to make this work, and you know, because I've I've got a friend, you know, dear friend of mine who still has some incontinence three years later is in a very tiny percentage tiny tiny but you know and we've talked really candidly about incontinence and i feel like you know i'll get you know that under control but the sexual side i don't even know where to start and i just uh, but all i do know is jenny and i 
um, had a really, you know, we've had a number of discussions on making that work for us and, and she's been incredibly reassuring that, um, you, that, that, that it's never going to affect us, that we'll make it work, however it looks, it just might look different for a Ex- while. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing is that, you know, sex is never going to be the same after prostate cancer yeah, treatment, yeah. but it still can be really good. And mm. it, in some cases I've had couples tell me that it's even better mm-hmm. because they've had to mix up the script. And it's not all about penis and it's not all about an erection anymore. And yeah, yeah. there's a whole lot of other things that, you know, you can do together. Outer yeah. course can be yeah. great. And, and actually pelvic floor exercise training does help improve the strength and quality of erections in a lot of patients as well as orgasms. So you may find um, in due course mm-hmm. that there's more sensation there and there's a better function. Do you mind if we ask if you've had any opportunity to uh, test drive? <laughs> Since the surgery. Since the surgery. Yeah, no, I haven't. And it's really been interesting because say, for someone who feels like they're quite, you know, sexual, I've, it's been interesting. I, yeah, have not been feeling, you know, you know, haven't got hard at all or haven't, but, but last Friday, so it's only, what, three days ago, I think I began to start to feel like, you know, you know, I wanted to get it all going again. Um, but I, but also I've had a bit of a UTI in the last few days, you know, the urinary tract infection. I've got a bit of it and I've got an antibiotic for it. And that doesn't make you feel very sexy when you, you've got some no, stinging. No, and I thought, I thought that might be going on because you – I only saw you post-op um, just a week mm-hmm. ago mm-hmm. and for the first time. So you were leaking quite a bit using four or five pads, level three pads Up a day, six. which is actually, you know, more than what I would normally expect. Mm-hmm. But if you have a urinary tract infection, it really mu- pretty much stops the bladder from wanting to hold – anything in it Mm. so the goal is get rid of the infection first and then we start the baseline again mostly Mm. do you feel like it's settling at all with the antibiotic treatment yet or uh yes i've already noticed took it took taken a couple of days i started saturday morning okay did a very interesting thing uh everyone might be interested in this we did we got our um, script online for the antibiotic we didn't even have to go to a doctor the doctor's appointment was the one that i've got this afternoon where i am in uh, the hills it often takes up to a week to get to your doctor Uh, we got our script within hours uh legally and through the medical system you can get a a script online so we got a script went to we came up as a qr code on my phone and i could go to my chemist and get the script it's brilliant it's the best thing that's come out of covid i reckon is that we can now send these scripts scripts, yeah Yeah. so you can just send a um, you write the script you can do a telephone consult then write the prescription and it just gets sent straight to your phone as a qr code take it into the pharmacy and it's just because you don't you don't want to be waiting three days my wife being a nurse she was all over this she's seen a lot of your uti she said you do not want to be waiting and let it get it get a grip just to for anyone listening as well i always um suggest a patient just go straight to their doctor if they're concerned about that drop into the GP practice I'm concerned that I have a urinary tract infection building and especially if it's something like a Thursday or Friday yeah. because we have seen them escalate Weakens. to kidney infections and you know in I can't recall anyone who hasn't had an absolute um, immediate opportunity to have their urine test assessed mm. sorry within a very short period of time within the next half an hour or so and you know it's just an important little reminder if you notice something feels different or you're leaking a lot or you're getting some pain or worsening leakage that was not quite apparent in the first few days, any time that you wear continence pads or any time that you've had a catheter, you're at risk of getting a urinary tract infection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife is saying one of the things too is if you ring up your doctors and find that you can't get in, tell them it's an emergency, tell them, tell, tell them you've got a, yeah, tell yep. them you've got a UTI. Um, so you've got two options. If, because I was going to have to wait three days, four days. So I think I contacted them last Friday morning. So that's that's not great. He's a good doctor, so there's plenty of people going mm-hmm. to see him. But uh, if he knew I had a UTI, he would have wanted to see me. But you've got to break through the system, either get it 
go straight to your GP or get it online and get uh, get get the um, get the antibiotics moving fast or you're re- you know great idea. Mm. I had a patient just uh, Saturday morning mm-hmm. who'd had an undetected infection yeah. for six months. He ended up very very unwell in hospital for. 11 weeks, then went out with a pick line for another three months. He needed daily treatment um, for another four months after that. And I'm starting day one with him now and he had his surgery last June. Mm, This is 14 months ago. So have you found that your leakage has settled down a little bit now that you've been on the antibiotics? It has, yeah. I'm still adjusting uh, fluid intake and um, for Joe I'm beginning to quantify. I'm actually starting tomorrow but I'm – I've set it up to uh, to measure measure how much I pee, weight of my um, pads. Um, yeah, I was really disturbed. One thing I've really noticed is uh, an, an example. Yes, I came back from the country and I was uh, probably you know put a fresh pad on and then uh, you know was in in, in our uh, little motorhome for a couple of hours and got home and I had a blowout. And that, you know, that's, you know, that was the pad, that was my jocks needed changing, you know. Um, but generally I'm holding more and then I'm peeing more, which so, whereas last week I was dribbling it still and I was doing everything really. Yeah, so let's just talk about your blowout because mm. pretty much every patient will have potentially one blowout. And it's usually associated with alcohol. A little bit further down the track when men are testing the waters, I say quite literally. Mm. And they, they might be almost or completely continent, but I always say just wear a precautionary pad or security pad mm-hmm. when you're going to go and have your first sort of drinking session, whatever it might be. What happened with the blowout? Oh, you! Well, I've had two blowouts, so I must be one. I'm, one, you know, one of the, <laughs> I'm one of those, one of the odd ones that has had two blowouts. <laughs> but the, the, ironically, the um, the, the uh, first blowout. I suppose the, the lesson was the first blowout was when I came to an appointment with Joe, and then I made the mistake. My wife was furious with me because I had an appointment <laughs> afterwards to go and see my have my Reiki session. So I was on the road for two hours, mm-hmm. and. I had two two sessions for an, a half an hour and an hour. When I got home, I was driving up Kalamunda Hill and I was as wet as a shag on a rock. <laughs> and um, I could um, I couldn't stop on Kalamunda Road, and I just yeah, I hit hit uh, total psychedemia. So Aww. yeah, psychedemia, psychedemia. We that's have not a good had one. that one before. <laughs> psychedemia. <laughs> that's what we're going to call this session. This episode is going to be called psychedemia. So, um, Leo, have you got a question, Joe? Okay, I just wanted to know, so obviously there was a lot of anxiety leading up to it. Are you feeling much more positive now, like that you're, Absolutely. That you're through the other side? Yeah, it's feeling like, um, it sort of feels like, uh, I, I felt like I was two steps forward, one step back, which is not great, but now it's like three or four steps forward, one step back. I think you have to take some, there's some rough, you know, and the rough can be, to tell you the truth, I love it. Love a stubby every second day. I'm not much of a drinker, but I do love a, a Cooper's Green every second day. And I haven't had a beer, and I haven't had obviously any alcohol, and I've felt good from that. Uh, but I think I'm really wary of what I um, of, of, of drinking. I don't even can't even imagine what it's like to. So, but I suppose that's because I've still been fragile about the uh, level of um, you know peeing. But uh, but yeah, but I'm feeling like I'm really going forward, and it goes in little. It doesn't go gradually. What I've found is it goes in little. Um, little winds yeah and you look back and you go oh, I've had a pretty dry night but I had a glass of water before I went to bed and and then you go to the loo and you have a big pee and it's fantastic <laughs> um, especially when it's not not stinging small joys <laughs> small joys small joys in a tough world you know <laughs> 
So what moving forward now, how are you feeling about getting your post um, PSA? Because you haven't had that yet. That's yeah, I've got my post, post PSA in about, I think it's four and a half, five weeks. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, really interested to see. I'm really, really, um, you know, hoping for those double you know, double donuts yes. or uh, 0.01 if, um, if if it has to be. But uh, um, but I'm not sweating on that. I feel like, you know, I, one, th- one of the things I've realised is it's sometimes, you know, you think of incontinence or impossible sexual effects, sexual side effects. But the truth is, I, to, to the best of my knowledge, I've got rid of cancer and that's what I have to think about. Unfortunately, my prostate had to go with it, but I had to get rid of cancer. So, you know, I was lucky. I was one of those lucky guys where the, where the I believe the, and everything medical at the moment shows that the cancer was contained to my prostate. I'm lucky. Yeah. I know a guy who died in January of prostate cancer mm. and, you know, he'll never come back. He's my age. I knew him well. I used to work with him many years ago. So that's tragic, you know. It's really, you So know, that would have really added to your anxiety when you got your diagnosis did. then you when know, you know somebody. Do you know, somebody? Melissa, I couldn't go to his funeral. Because I had two mm. things happening. I was concerned about my own by then because I was waiting on my appointment. But I had I, I was thinking maybe something wasn't right. But also um, I'd had a lot of emotional stuff with uh, um, in the family and I just could not go. And I and actually watched the funeral online but I could not go. Mm. But it was very close, you know. Because very, it. very confronting. Mm. Imagine having a friend die of yeah. that when you've just been diagnosed. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going in... What I'll just call the everyday life stuff, walking. Yeah, that's. I think that's really the walking is really interesting because we live in Les Murdy, so we're uphill and down dale. You can get get a real aerobic lift off the hills in in our area. So I've actually kept away from the hills a bit, and I was going to ask you today, Joe, just whether I can be starting to tackle these hills until maybe halfway through last week, so two and a half weeks. I was. I felt like an eight-year-old in some ways. I'd walk around the block. Uh, then I, but then I began, Jenny's, we, we, we do a very active walk of about 25, 30 minutes with our dog, uphill, down, dale, um, at a brisk pace, mostly a brisk pace. Sometimes I have a jog. Um, I certainly don't feel like jogging at the moment. And you haven't tried jogging yet, I hope. And I haven't, mm-hmm. no. Good, but good, what good. I've done is extend <laughs> out the flat walking and just in the last few days introduced low slope. I haven't gone for the big hills yet. I've gone down a couple, but even that I was a bit wary of, but I'm very wary of any of the other hills. Well, let's have a big chat about this because there's so much variation. And I must admit, every surgeon that I work with will probably have a slightly different interpretation about this. But I always say, I'm the physiotherapist, which means I'm the physical therapist. So you better listen to me. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's too much variation. I'm the one that assesses your physical function all the time. Even from the minute that you walk in to see me, I'm looking how you're walking, whether you're limping, whether you've got a stick, I'm very aware of your whole body health. Uh, So prior to the surgery, I encourage everyone to do up to an hour walking a day Mm -hmm. or a five-kilometre walk is a good thing to aim for. Post-surgery, while you've got the catheter in, I like you to go for short walks, but nothing more than about 10 or 15 minutes at any one time, literally because the catheter can cause a little bit of irritation at the tip of the urethra and a lot of guys actually say they find it too uncomfortable to it walk. It can hurt. Yeah. Did you find that at all? Yeah, on the tip. Mm. I was having to use Ligna cane. It was – I'd come back from it and I wanted to walk so much because we love – we walk every day. We love it. Um, and, yeah, I get very sore on the tip, really tender like a toothache. So mm. just for those out uh, listening, Ligna cane is a numbing cream. Did you find it helped? Very helpful. Because yeah. my dad didn't know about that. Someone forgot to told him in his little hospital pack. So he spent nine days with a catheter. Mm. Um 
not sleeping and being very distressed. So he always says, Joe, can you please tell every patient about the numbing gel? And, you know, St John's, I must say, and I'm sure most of the hospitals do now, they sent me home with a syringe, a big syringe, a lignocaine, and that's so appropriate. You need it. Mm. So then moving on, I say, if you could um, walk once the catheter comes out, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit more, 15 mm-hmm. to 20 minutes once mm-hmm. or twice a day. And then over that first week mm-hmm. before you come back to see me to try and get a bit of a baseline of a half an hour walk. And expect a lot of leakage. So if you walk in the morning, it's probably less leaky than if you walk in the afternoon. Absolutely. One thing I've found is that's really helpful is I'm saying walking, it's pretty quiet and calm up where we are. So walking, a lot of people walk in the streets um, around our area. It's very quiet. But what I've loved is doing it twice and sometimes I've got to force myself to do that, but it's just mentally very good. It's not; it's physical, but it's mental as well because you do get down a bit. I've felt like I've been in my own personal lockdown for the last few weeks until the weekend when I, I escaped and went down to Narragin. But, um, you know, which is why we went because Jeannie felt like I needed to get going again because yeah. I haven't been driving, I haven't been having a drink. I've had lots of family around, some mates come and it's been fantastic, it's been wonderful. But, I, you know, have... In the first week or two, I didn't feel like getting out. But in the last week, I felt like I needed to get out and about again. Something really interesting. So I'm a yoga teacher. And when I started um, teaching yoga 20-odd years ago, I hadn't done any formal training. But about five years ago, I had the opportunity to do this 200-hour teacher teacher training program. And it was really fascinating because I wanted to link the dots of the Western medicine and the Eastern medicine. Mm. And, you know, yoga means to unite the breath and the body and the brain basically and so when you walk you're actually doing all of that Mm -hmm. and it's quite meditative because you actually get this breath cycle with every step being very consistent and so I find meditation myself personally quite challenging but I can walk all day And I know what you mean, like especially living out well, in the Well, it's interesting hills. you say yeah. that, Joe, because I actually do meditate. And the interesting thing is I um, I learnt uh, TM in 87 and then for about 20 years I didn't even use it, 25 years. TM and it began TM, Transcendental Meditation. Um, and I, uh, I can't tell i can't say enough how powerful meditation's mm. been for me but it's one tool it's a mm. it's among it's a it, it's a tool amongst other tools but if i don't meditate at night i can't sleep properly okay. so i meditate 20 minutes every night and that's been a godsend because my sleep is is very serious the sleep issue i've got mm. and and the uh, and i've been a sleep psychologist for years on and off yeah and just on the leaking side with mm-hmm. walking do you notice like some guys say to me they feel like it's a little bit of a drip 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 or for others it's only towards the end of the walk I mean it generally improves over time and I always encourage people to walk ignore that just pad up and get on with it because if you train in what we call functional training which is a lot based on Peter Dornan's early work from Brisbane um, you train in the position that you leak to adapt the muscles to that particular activity mm. so I tend to um, you know have a little mini blowout at the end yeah, I find. <laughs> so you're doing well the whole way yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. And yeah then I'm the probably pressure holding builds on up. to it, you know, and I'm just, um, yeah, but it's definitely working better, which is just... There's the lots of trees awesome. around up there. Can't <laughs> you just... <laughs> Every few So metres. many trees. <laughs> but I must say on that note, sometimes I get patients who think they have to engage and hold their pelvic floor on the nuts are got switched on the whole day. Yeah, and right. all that's going to do is fatigue the muscle, probably yeah. cause cramping, mm. something we call hypertonicity mm. and increased tone, which can actually make you sore. Um, 
So definitely, I don't know if that's been something that you've I've done. I've had a bit of. I think I've been had a little bit of that. A tendency to, I'll, I'll, I'll beat this. I'll hang on to it. Or just. But what I have learned is you've got to really do it when you're getting up, moving, changing up and down stairs. We've got stairs at home. Uh, just hold it. Just getting up from telly is a classic. <laughs> just you know, if you've been there for an hour or two watching a movie, or you know, just yeah, grab it as grab it, pull it up before you get up. And what about the um, flow? Do you still get that post void dribbling? Uh, yeah, well, it varied because I think while while I had the um, UTI, it would be P and then, you know, and I could I had to go again to get little little bits for a few minutes. But I noticed this morning after a, quite a dry night as they go, uh, you know, very uh, minimal um, leakage during the night, very minimal, um, I uh, which is unusual, I ended up, um, you know, having a really good P. So... Uh, it was a nice feeling and it was a nice feeling to not have a stingy one too. So um, I think yeah, there was a message that you wrote, an expression, F-O-F-O in the blog that you yeah. sent me. So yeah. tell us about that. I, I fell on that. I, I, I'd never heard of it before but it was just a fear of finding out. And I think mm. with me, I can only speak for myself. I'm not trying to speak for other guys but I just hope this helps other guys. I just had a feeling that oh, I began to, like had this mate who had had, uh, who followed my whole, been with me right along through this with a similar um, Gleason score, you know, I, I felt in some ways I didn't, you know, that I was ignoring my Gleason, you know, my um, PSA and that there was like a fear of finding out, you know, love of something. That. Because I love also that too. Because Fofo. Yeah, yeah. So, um, because I've had a, you know, at different times, it's been, I've had some huge highs and some huge lows in my life. So, there's a sort of a bit of a fear of finding out. That yeah. And we've also had a lot of tragedy in the, in the family and friends in the last 12 months. And so, I think that's a really good message for other men. Don't have fear of finding out, this fofo, because, you know, you go and get tested and yeah. you get treated and, and you had all this anxiety around it, but you've got all your tools together and you've come out the other side. Absolutely. And it'd be really great. Brendan, if we could speak to you again, maybe in six months and see how the journey goes. Or even, yeah. I think the three-month mark or is three good months, because yeah. what I find is most men improve their continence recovery within that three months and so they get a little bit more proactive with the sexual function but naturally occurring erections, it's not really happening. Mm. But often by six months, it's quite different. So it might be great to Absolutely chat to you that. in three-month mm. instalments if that's… It would be great. And mm. then we could also, you know, be interesting to find out how you go with your outer course and your libido when you change antidepressants and all of those things. So we'll revisit that. So anyone who's listening, we will revisit in another three months' time and find out what the next step is. Just one question. Have you started any medication for the sexual function? Yes, I've um, started um, through Melissa. I uh, have taken, I take Tylodophil and I take that every second day. And um, yeah, that's, so I started that before I had my operation and then I stopped it for a few days over the operation period. After MacArthur was out, I started again. And uh, you know, I'm having it religiously every every second day. So I'm yep. hoping that's going to, you know, I'm very aware that, you know, the idea is to get the blood really flowing down there. And we're going to catch up in a few days and start you on a pump. Yeah, and I was only, only said that, um, you know, Jeannie, um, um, over the weekend, you know, just how exciting it will be when we can, you know, when Aww. it can actually go again. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but in well, the meantime, doesn't mean, I, I use the word, you know, there's, you know, uh, I think the word I love is intimacy, you know, and mm. you can have incredible intimacy without, penetrative sex and look we mm. all I think most of us love penetrative sex but 
the interesting thing is a lot of women don't as much. And, you know, I think, you know, we've talked about this and I think it's really important to understand. I hope that, you know, I don't think wish for every guy if he's in a relationship that his partner, um, you know, just finds an increase in intimacy that was not even there as much. So there's actually a, a, an expansion of the intimacy. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think it it forces people to actually look a bit closer at their sex life and their yeah. intimacy, intimate relationship and how mm. they might have just taken it for granted for a while. And you actually have to sort of put it in the mirror, don't you? The whole time I've been t- uh, talking to you today, Brendan, I've been thinking... Your wife's called Jeannie. Mm-hmm. Sounds like you've got a genie in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> I have. <laughs> well, thanks to her as well for um, allowing you to share your story. And, uh, you know, sometimes partners aren't all that keen to be referenced, but um, I'm sure she's quite happy to um, assist you as she sounds like she's a very a loving and um, compassionate person. Yeah. I'm very lucky. I'm very lucky to have you two in my life too. I'm really appreciative that I found you. I think every every at this stage, one really needs every every you know, empathetic person around them they can get. Mm. Thank you so much for coming in today, and we'll be excited to chat again in a couple of months. Can't wait. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. This is Dr. Joe. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny The going down of the sun